0: you know again this is like me spending way too much time looking for yeah. for crap that could go wrong just because you're paranoid doesn't mean nobody's out to get you
1: <laughs> correct
2: <laughs> you could-
1: Hi and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host W. Curtis Preston, aka Mister Backup, and I have with me my garage sound engineer, Prasanna Malayandi. How's it going, Prasanna?
3: <laughs> I'm good, Curtis. I love your projects that you do like every week. I think I live vicariously through your projects.
1: My projects live are are done vicariously through your through your advice, <laughs> through your your continual. So this week's the project was the replacement of my. Garage door opener after 20 years in the house. Uh, I replaced it with a new beautiful garage door opener. And and you took the smart approach. And I did. I did something very not Curtis. I paid someone else to put it in. (laughs) I paid $99 to Lowe's to have it installed. And that is based on what I saw this guy do, who told me it would probably take about an hour and 15 minutes. So three hours later, I said, wow, that's the best $99 I ever spent. (laughs) Would I be exaggerating if, if I told the audience that I just stand in my garage and push the button and open and close the door?
3: No, it would not. And I'm not surprised because you sent me a text after it was done with just the sound of the garage door opening so and beautiful. closing.
1: You're like, it's listen so to quiet. it. It's so quiet. I can, like record podcasts in there now. It's just, you know, the old one was the, the worm screw type. Yeah. And now I have the belt driven. And it is... It's like 10 decibels. It's it's so, ridiculous. So now that you saw the guy do
3: it, mm-hmm. next time you're up in the Bay Area, why? how about you replace my garage door opener,
1: which- with- I will give you $99 <laughs> to have someone <laughs> so else <we'll>, so we'll <laughs> install it. It is time to pick this week's winner of the ebook version of my new book, Modern Data Protection by O'Reilly and Associates. Remember to be eligible for this drawing. All you need to do is subscribe to my mailing list on backupcentral.com. Then each week I will pick one of the new subscribers uh, to receive this free ebook, courtesy of O'Reilly and Associates. Once again, I forgot to do this last week. I'm going to pick two winners this week. And the winners this week are Travis Mills and Andrew from. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but it is a consulting company in Canada. So uh, you should be receiving separate emails from me. Congratulations. And to the rest of you, good luck next time. And uh, all you need to do to be eligible is subscribe to the mailing list on Backup Central. See you soon. So uh, we, we have a very special guest this week, don't we? Persona. oh my god curtis you have been like bursting at the seams we've been talking about this guest i know a lot of time we, i i always say things like oh we have such a special guest but i i honestly and we've done what how many podcasts have we done now 124 yeah something like that 124 yeah. episodes in 124 episodes i i can't think of any other guest who has been essentially mentioned in every podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and that is what we have here today. So let's introduce him and bring him on. So after being a, a film photographer for 15 years, he became a digital photographer, for, and he's been that for 20 years, and he's also a fellow O'Reilly author. In 2005, he wrote the book, The Damn Book, Digital Asset Management for Photographers. And he and this book are credited with coining what term, Persona? Your favorite term, Curtis, the three-two-one rule. <laughs> Absolutely, and so he, he's a bit of a celebrity here uh, on the podcast. He's now been specializing in digital asset management for all that time, and is now the chief product officer at Tandem Vault.
0: Welcome to the podcast,
1: Peter Krogh.
0: Thank you so much for having me, and wow, coming in right on the garage door thing—it's uh, <laughs> it's super close to my heart. You. I literally was working on my garage door all weekend. Oh, really? That's funny. Yeah.
1: I, I so I I had recently I would replaced all the hardware, all the hinges, you know, on the the door, and then I decided to bite the bullet and replace the garage door opener. And oh my Lord, it, it's, 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 it's like, a, it's not, I can't even, I don't even know I'm in the garage when I, it's like a completely different <laughs> You're garage. You're just going to so
0: want to go live there.
1: I do. I want to go live there and just, and, and also the, the, the model that I bought comes with the integrated MyQ functionality. So I so can you get open get Facebook on it.
0: I can, yeah, I can get <laughs> Facebook to open up my door. Yeah, don't so do that. So we're
1: recording this the day after. The Facebook outage. That was yeah. quite the quite the outage. I, I think my favorite part, again, only because I don't work at Facebook. My favorite part was how that they they were apparently locked out of the building, and right. some of the engineers who were trying to fix the problem couldn't get in the building because their card management system, their, their what do you, what would you call it, security card, the security badge,
0: it used the same infrastructure. They had said some, you know, somebody <laughs> had raised the point like. What if the cards don't work? Do we you know like how do you get in? Yeah. yeah. Don't we need a key? And the and and you know, some according to lore, some VP guy says, Oh, well, you know, oh, we got plans for that. Like this is gonna <laughs> this is definitely gonna factor into our backup discussion. But um, you know, we got plans for that. Well, it turns out the plans for that was an angle grinder. To, uh, oh. you know, take the door apart. And,
3: oh, uh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. That's just...
0: I was reading the the stories. I've, I've read
1: a couple of different accounts. I think the best one that I've read so far is from the uh, the folks at Cloudflare. And they they gave a pretty good layout of what had actually happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's I look at Configuration
0: problem or something? And,
1: yeah. Would, <clears throat> basically, that they dropped their, their BGP routes... And they just delete. It's like they it's, deleted it, themselves
3: from the internet. They, is they, what they deleted
1: did. <laughs> themselves. So so their servers were up. Their DNS entries couldn't they couldn't resolve because their DNS servers that respond to their own things. They basically there was no route to those servers, and so they couldn't respond. And so and then it, this problem just cascaded up the up the internet. That's just it's just crazy. And so w- when I think about that, I of course immediately. Of course, I immediately start thinking about the three two one rule. So <laughs> yeah. the question is: so let's talk about let's talk about. Speaking yeah. of lore, you, this this thing comes up quite a bit, and it's so it's so pervasive, Peter, that I was surprised to learn that it was coined only fifteen years ago. Because for those of us that have been in the industry a while, that seems that seems two thousand five doesn't seem like that
0: long ago. No, no, it doesn't, and um, and yet it feels like an eternity ago, but. Um... So what was happening when I was putting that book together? I came to it as as a photographer and was speaking to photographers who were among the very first group of people who had this problem of a ton of data that was absolutely central to their business that could be easily wiped out, and um, and then I had been working with Adobe uh, as a an unpaid alpha tester back in the day, and and. And so I started uh, polling my friends who were in the professional IT services world and, and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, go- hopping from them to other people that they happen to know. And, and, and it became clear that, well, this is, you know, this is actually how you do it if you're a professional. You know, you must have right. more than one backup. You must, you know, have a uh, backup against multiple different kinds of threats. And, and then, you know, let's put ourselves in the shoes of, we have a failure of the primary, uh, what are we, what's the next step? And that, you know, um, and then, uh, you know, as with the title of the book, I was looking for a catchy way to say it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, I did not invent the fact that three backups and an offsite backup and two right. different um, uh, two different media types.
1: You just sort of coined the term.
0: I I just gave it a little catchy name, which yeah, right. which you can have fun with on your show. <laughs> and and you know my my friends over at the Library of Congress use it all the time, and it 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 actually has become sort of globally pervasive, which is. Is so a fun thing for me. Yeah,
3: no, that's pretty awesome. And just going back to what you were saying, like in the industry, people have been using like this forever, but I think it's just sort of taking it from the technical people and being like, hey, by the way, everyone should be doing this when you have important data. I think that's a key part I, of it. I th-
1: I think that what you did there is a lot of the kind of things I like to do, which is to uh, distill a relatively complex topic down into something easy to understand for the average person. And I know that in the case I, you're, you're saying that you, you, you didn't necessarily see this practice among digital photographers. And I would say, I would extend that to even to this day, when I look at digital videographers, even people that are in the industry, like they're, you know they're working for major studios. Uh, when I go around NAB, right, the National Association of Broadcasters trade show, does anybody remember trade shows? Yeah,
0: we, <laughs> I do travel, love them. Trade
1: shows. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, I actually have. If if everything goes well, I will be <clears throat> in Vegas in December, and we will be doing the AWS. Rain reinvent rent. in December. I, I need to throw out our usual disclaimer. Persona and I work for different companies. He works for Zoom. I work for Druva, but this is not a podcast of either company. The opinions here are ours. Please rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com/slash restore. And if you have interesting things to say in our all of our favorite subjects, then we want to have you on the podcast. So just uh, reach out to me at W. Curtis Preston at Gmail or at W. C. Preston on Twitter. At NAB, I was seeing that many of the booths they were advertising things like how fast they could do storage, how you know how easy they could make your job, but they didn't advertise things that I thought were important: data protection features. Right. I I was really surprised that striped RAID right, it makes your hard drives fast. <laughs> Yay. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Until it doesn't. Yeah. Until it doesn't. And and so it sounds like that that problem you saw that in the the
0: yeah it, and you know it's an interesting um i assume you're a, a crossing the chasm person and you know this is definitely a crossing the chasm moment or it was where you know here's here's a need for a thing that actually has turned out to be a, a thing that everybody needs but the you know in that that uh a uh, bleeding edge there, like who needs it first, and who needs it first in a way that they have to actually do it themselves, and it really was photographers more than anybody. Um, right, you know, they went digital before videographers did. Yep, and and it was, you know, and and by and large, it's small shops having to do this and having to configure all their tech themselves, and and so it was the perfect crossing the chasm moment for that, for, for this sort of more organic and, and full ecosystem understanding of, of how you build and manage uh, media collection.
1: And 15 years ago, you, you, you were just dealing with an SD card and a camera right? The, oh,
0: SD the cards the did not exist. Oh, well, what were you dealing with? <laughs> yeah, Compact. not SD Compact cards. Flash. Right Compact flash and, and micro, micro drives. Yep. There Oh, go. yes, like, yes. That'll take so you, you
1: But you were just dealing with those and a camera. You weren't dealing, for example, nowadays, you can get a camera that has two slots and it will right. make the two copies for you simultaneously, for example. You were just dealing with a camera that would produce one digital copy and then you needed to go make these additional copies yourself right
0: well right actually the the harder the the harder problem was that hard drives were like 30 meg or 30 gigabytes or 60 gigabytes and they were just too small to hold a photo collection and again photographers were sort of this bleeding edge of mm-hmm. small businesses that needed that type of storage almost mm-hmm. nobody else did mm. and and if you know, if you look at the way the technologies progressed, once video went full digital, then video drove the the technology. Right, um, right. But until then, it was it was photography, and it was you know when the uh, the Nikon uh, what was that the D one, and then I forget what the Canon was. I was a Nikon, I always have been a Nikon
2: guy, <laughs> um,
0: and then the Nikon D one hundred, which made it. Uh, affordable for huge numbers of people, all of a sudden you had this just tidal wave of people changing. I I literally shot my last piece of film in uh, June of 2002, (laughs) the week I bought my Nikon D100. And I have not shot a frame of film since then.
3: You know, the funny thing, Peter, is the first time I actually shot proper film was in like 2005 or no, two thousand eight. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> i actually took a class where it was like oh use a film camera and learn to develop film right so i'm going the other way where before then everything like almost everything that i've ever shot has always been digital
0: yeah i mean it's just it's a fabulous <laughs> set of processes to learn to yeah. understand you know both the chemistry and the physics but also yep. to um um you to have, to have the purposeful. yes purposeful <laughs> that's intentional you you got to really think about my my uh, daughter when she was in high school and I gave her a film camera. She's like, you may not understand this, dad, but, um, you know, you really have to think about each picture that you shoot. Yep. I'm like, yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't
3: just take a bunch of pictures and be like, ah, I'm sure I have one good one in there.
0: Yeah. I used to, I used to shoot four by five film and that was, Mm -hmm. you know, five bucks a shoot of film, (laughs) five bucks a shot. But, um, no, so that, that was, uh, you know, that was a nice catchy one. There was, um, however, you know, I think the real import of that book project was really, it was really the first time that anybody tried to put the whole ecosystem together from Mm. capture through storage, processing output. Uh, you know, what, what are the software applications that we need and how do we think about workflow? And up until then there had been a number of, uh, of like how to do digital photography books, but they were all very much like, oh, well, I kind of sometimes do it one way this, this time. And then I do it a different way another time. And there wasn't, there wasn't ever a, a sort of closed loop. And at the same time I had been um, tapped by Adobe to be a representative in their alpha tester. It turned out they were looking at me as the information architecture guy, which mm. I'm entirely without portfolio on at that <laughs> point. Um, and I was like, you know what, if we do this, actually it like completes the whole circle. And that ended up being very important in the design of the DNG um, digital negative file format and and how the software could all work together. And then, you know, and I was sort of, toiling away in relative obscurity and then the book was published and all of a sudden it was <laughs> you know 30 cities and five countries a year of just invitations coming in over the transom can you please come help us figure out how to do this work yeah that's interesting
1: and and so to go back to like the original time that you were talking about the 321 rule how did you what again going back to that original digital photographer Give me your description of the original version of the three two one rule. What what it meant to you?
0: I well, it was. Um, I mean, it was very clear after both talking about it and and thinking thinking the whole process through. That that really is, you know. Okay, uh, this hard drive dies. Now what? You know. Then you, um, then you can can. Uh, Game out what you would really like to have, and mm-hmm. using the using the knowledge that I had from people who were in in tech world, um, you know, to know that either virus or corruption or lightning strike, uh, you know, magnetic spinning disk, it's got a certain set of vulnerabilities that um, are not the vulnerabilities of optical disk. At that time that was really the only other option that was the only other option for a small business there was still right. digital tape but um that was so expensive for a you know for a photoshop um it still to, is to under to implement um and uh i, I gotta say there was a uh, my first big digital job was like a a six-figure job for pbs which was a lot of money for me at that point and i had shot this giant campaign with hundreds of people coming through the studio over like five days, including like senior PBS executives who were part of this whole thing. And I had a hard drive fail. <sighs> and Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, this was before I had written the book, you know, and I'm and it was like, wow, this is unrecoverable. And I called up my assistant. I'm like, Darren, this, you know, like terrible news, you know, I'm out of business. He's like, oh, dude. I got way too nervous about all that stuff sitting on one drive. It's all sitting on that other drive in the in, <laughs> nice. you know, strong room. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Darren. You nice. can work for me forever. And, uh, and then I was like, okay, I really got to get a handle on this. I mean, that was almost disaster.
3: Yeah. Well, and yeah. I'm sure as you're in the middle of doing all of the shooting, right? Your first thought isn't, oh, I need to make a copy of this data, to put somewhere else, right? It's, oh, I need to make sure I get everything I need done. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, yeah and it's like,
0: uh, you know, this hard drive is probably going <laughs> to turn on tomorrow, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but then as soon as you, you know, what I really like to do is take stuff apart all the way down to the elements. And, and when you look at, when you, you know, if you're sitting around with a glass of wine and thinking like what kind of hazards could create failure yeah. then it's not it's not that hard to get to a point where you say, oh well you know all hard drives have this problem yeah. they could all be infected because it's right. rewritable media um, and because it's magnetic media that could be plugged in, you know one lightning strike could fry everything in your house.
1: It's really interesting that your you know your desire to, to write what you wrote was born out of a near tragedy which in the same as the exact same thing is true of me so my my foray into backup and recovery started with a near tragedy I, I had been the backup guy for a 35 billion dollar bank and we lost the production, purchasing database for the company and it turned out that all of the backups had failed due to a misconfiguration error a configuration error that i had made because i hadn't been fully trained on the way that things worked and luckily this one person joe fitzpatrick is his name somehow waved (laughs) a magic wand and somehow got some stuff back and we didn't lose everything we lost Something like three or four days were the purchase orders, but we didn't lose the entire database. But that was the moment when I said, that will not happen to me again. Yeah. I'm going to learn. It was an Oracle database and I will learn everything there is to know about Oracle database. And, and from that, or from backups of, of an Oracle database. And from that, I I wrote the, you know, eventually would write the book and so on. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like we hit we had a similar thing. So when, when you when you think of the three, two, one row, when when you say it's three what? Is it three copies of each file?
0: Three copies of the data. And for most of my audience, that is a, a file based understanding of what the data right, is. Right.
1: Okay. <laughs> Do you
3: consider the production, the original source as one of those copies?
0: So the like the original source file of a photo or video. Yes and no. I mean, if it has been transformed in a way that the work that has been done to it is you know, is where the value resides. You know, if you took the million image files that are sitting on uh, my server and you stripped away every bit of metadata and every bit of image optimization and every bit of, you know, collection, creation and all of that and then and curation. Uh, you would be stripping away a gigantic amount of data, uh, right. you know, a gi- dra- gigantic amount of value from from the collection.
3: Gotcha. So it's whatever that final version of your asset is or your file is, right? That you would consider a. Or current I'd version.
0: say the current, the current, the version. Current version. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it gets it gets weirder <laughs> as the as the world has has changed. So this is. Um, an interesting thing that we can't do with, with visuals here on an audio podcast. But um, in the 2009 version of my book, the cover depicted a photo collection as a simple sphere of photos. Like, this is just a big ball of my stuff. In the uh, damn book 3.0, it's actually not just a sphere, a single sphere, but then there are other spheres off in space. There's it's like the a multiverse. Flowers and then there's Mm. and then there's a lot of tinker toys plugged in that could be people ideas connectivity um you know keywords other data Mm -hmm. and and when you think about what a media collection is now there really is there is both the original source media files uh, which have a ton of value and have a ton of value to keep and be able to reprocess later but the true value is actually not just in the the you know curation and the and the metadata tagging that would be happening in in the primary version of that collection but our understanding of visual media now is at least as much about the connectivity out into the world. So w- when you think about the Instagram generation, um, uh, their understanding of a photograph is not a rectangle full of colored dots. <laughs> it's, yep. It is um, something that represents connectivity and it, it you know, there's a whole, you know, the the photograph itself is the tip of the iceberg, literally like 10% of it and 90% or more is under the surface. They, you know, who's connected to it, who's liked it, who's yep. um, commented on it I, and all the rest of that. Yeah. Yeah. What, did, what ideas does it mean? And then, you know, what's, what's happening sort of invisibly in the case of the big social media companies is that there's a whole. Um, you know, network of connectivity that's happening under the hood that that is providing the value as attached to that media object. The task of building that value into the collection, preserving that value, huge questions of ownership (laughs) of that connectivity and value um, have made this whole thing really, really complicated And, um, you know, and and almost nobody except for us um, is actually trying to do this in service of, you know, in this in our case, it's really in service of either the, you know, the creator or an institution that that owns the material or has, you know, has has a right to that material Um, instead of giving all of that. Data and information away to Facebook.
1: Yeah, I think when when I think about, I, I would take that original three and the two and the one. It, it's to me, it's of anything that you feel, whether it's the original, uh, yeah. a what what do you what do you what do you what's what do you call it a a derived work, right? Right, or a derivative file, right? Yeah, yeah a derivative file. Anything that you care about that yes. you want to stay. You need to keep at least three copies of that to, you know, on two different media, one. Now, I have slightly modified the three. To me, it's it's three versions of the file mm-hmm. because to me, if if of the three, if you you're say on on at least two different media, and I'm like, well, if it's not on three different medias, it's not really three copies from my perspective, right? So it's really about three versions of the file over time. Which isn't something that you really—I don't think you really talked about, right? You were so
0: that was that was certainly implicit in my understanding of it. Is okay? That, so it, was like it has versions? to be on three different devices. Like two copies was on the, the same hard drive is not, doesn't count. So what
1: was the two then?
0: <laughs> uh, two different media types.
1: Two different media types. Okay, all right.
0: So di- so d- different subject yeah. to different uh, hazards. So you know optical disk could degrade device. over time a lot more easily probably than magnetic disk and has you know has its own set of hazards. but yep. it's not going to be infected with a virus after it's been written for instance. And,
1: and I think that too is something that that maybe I haven't paid as much attention to, mainly because at this point we're all using the same media type, but it's meaning cloud. Or meaning hard no drive. meaning it's disk it's 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 hard drive it's either a hard drive or it's a it's solid state very few of the very few of the backups that are being made today are being stored on tape for example which would be the only other choice at this point right and also very few of them are being stored on flash because of the cost
0: right and and so for me you know my my uh, typical advice these days is that that second media type is probably best to be cloud. It has finally gotten cheap enough to say that, um, right. You know, if you've got access to a service, you know, in photographer land, there's, there are definitely services that can, uh, back up your entire photo archive for a very reasonable price. Um, and they're, you know, probably putting it on glacier, um, or, you know, Wasabi or some other, you know, some other cloud system where it can be stored. And I consider that a different media type because, you know, the hazards, most of the hazards for your hard drive are going to be, you know, somebody breaks into your house, the there's a lightning strike or, you know, there's uh, a virus and, and it kills all of the attached magnetic disks. Um, right. And so but- having a backblaze copy or, or uh, something sitting on Glacier is, is really provides the, the protection of that second media type.
3: Yeah. And nowadays, just going to Curtis's point, when you're talking about, um, most of it's probably on magnetic media, I was thinking also your two different media types could also be potentially like two different vendors. Like if I think about like a, someone who uses like a NAS storage device. Right. You probably don't want both of them being from the same company, potentially, maybe running the same operating system, because even yeah. potentially a bug can wipe you, out both copies.
1: But you know, but you know, nobody does that.
3: I know no one does that, but I'm well, just saying. No yeah. You could mean, it.
1: It's not a good idea. Uh, yeah. But, it, but nobody does. Well, because of things like deduplication, right? Yeah. The dedupe doesn't work between vendors. And, and by the way, dedupe would potentially be a common yeah. problem there and all of that, right? Or even just managing two separate vendor storage arrays, right? The skill sets.
0: Well a lot of NAS devices will like give you a um, a Glacier backup yep. app that can run right, on NAS. Right, right. And so that would be that would be an ideal thing. The 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 problem with, you know, again, this is like me spending way too much time looking for mm. for crap that could go wrong just because you're paranoid doesn't mean nobody's out to get you <laughs>
1: correct
0: <laughs> and uh if you have devices on the same network that are rewritable devices hard drives where you can rewrite you're not getting you know it's kind of a monoculture there even if they were two different vendors you know okay so maybe these guys are vulnerable to heartbleed, but these you know these guys had patched their nas for it so that it's protected. but isn't that but- what the
3: one is for though Peter, the offsite. Well, so this, this is, yeah, (laughs) this,
0: this concept of being separated in space and time uh, is an, is an interesting, you know, that, that's kind of the real disaster recovery protection as uh, as one of the guys at the um, library of Congress storage um, conference, which I've, I've gone to for like the last 10 or 15 years um, said is the smoke and hole scenario yeah. Um, and he, yeah. you know, Does he's a he guy who ran big act, da- yeah. data centers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you got to be separated in space and time. So, you know, space, yeah. so that if it is a smoking hole, this thing is not in the same hole. And then time, if it, you know, if there's, you know, now I, I was looking at your the the write-up of the ransomware podcast and i have some questions about that um <laughs> that uh that if you know ransomware comes in and it kills everything simultaneously at some date after infection well then you, you know you need to have some separation in time so something has to be either offline you know off-site um so that it can't all die at once and and a lot of people think you know the the worst is the people who think RAID is a backup, and <laughs> sadly, I'm a magnet for no, uh, people's th-
1: sobs. There stories. is a there is a new version, Peter, of the people. There there is a new worst. Yeah. The new worst is that people that think that SaaS services that aren't backing up their data are backing up their data, right? Right. Um, and 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 oddly enough, what I do is, you know, I I say. I I use the three two one rule, right? Because I basically say, look, it, it, like I, I I'm to me, if your backup doesn't meet that basic definition of what a backup is, then it's not a backup, right? You could have a thousand right. copies, but if they're all in the same storage array, that's not a backup. You could have a thousand copies, but if they're all in a storage array right next to your server, that's not a good backup right i mean it is a backup but it's not but it won't survive a disaster and in the case of the sas vendors there are so many people that without with zero proof whatsoever they're saying microsoft 365 is backing me up
0: yeah can you find not-
1: that in the service contract <laughs> it isn't in the service contract no and e- and even if it was yeah unless they're going to contractually agree to Making sure that that data is stored in a geographically to pay damages, exactly. which they yeah. are not and going yeah, to agree yeah, They are not going to do exactly. Yeah. yeah, So that's my new. I, but I do remember fighting the people that thought RAID was backup. I do
0: remember. I think
3: that. we did I haven't a had podcast that a podcast on that in a long time. We did time do ago. that, it's one of our first ones.
0: Well, and you know, I, I'm this close to my heart. Um, as a, as a product architect for a SaaS service. That mm-hmm. is very conscientious and paranoid, and and you know takes the the um, uh, the job seriously to preserve your data. And you know we're we're on Amazon S three, and then we're in Glacier. I, I still, if anybody asks me, you need a copy of stuff of your stuff on a device in your possession. Yep. It's, there's just too many unknowns. Otherwise, if you want it, um, and what you were saying this earlier, you're like, oh, if you care about this thing. And that really was what I did when I was going around the country saying to photographers, like anything you care about, anything that you care about, if it were gone tomorrow morning, when you wake up, like that's the thing you need to have a three, two, one on. Agreed. You, you say you work for a SAS vendor. I, I assume you're talking about Tandembolt.
1: Why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is?
0: Sure. The Dam Book 3 is actually written as a cookbook for what the next generation of dam services need to do. And it harkens back to what I was saying a few minutes ago about um, the fact that our um, innate understanding of what visual media is and how it is deployed and, and the, you know, the value that's associated with it is now about connectivity. It's um, it's a much more integrated and I mean, it's complicated, but it, but it also suffuses the entire organization. It is not just the marketing and communication team. It's everybody operations and HR and, um you know whatever your business happens to be um the the need to make use of visual media and for the for visual media to be preserved and deployed or deployed first and then preserved as a rich media object is um is becoming an essential it's it's a lot like what happened when you know the Macintosh was First released in the early '80s, and you know, you go to the IT guy and say, "Oh, I've got this computer," and they're like, "Yeah, <laughs> come back to us when you have a real computer. And we'll, <laughs> we'll help support you." And you know, there were like eight guys in a company of two thousand people who had a computer on their desk, and then within a, a few years, all of a sudden, everybody does. And and visual and rich media has actually become that. It is used for nearly every purpose by nearly every part of nearly every organization and so our objective in uh, that's a thing i wrote a lot about in the damn book 3 and our objective in designing tandem vault was to build an application that was that had you know that data model underpinning the entire design philosophy from from the ground up and because
3: I could imagine trying to retrofit that to the existing model would be like near impossible, just given all the additional ways that visual media is being used. You sort of have to rearchitect it from scratch, right?
0: Yeah, you absolutely do. And if you you know if you know anything about software development and multiple generations of software development and how uh, how gnarly that that Gordian knot is, then um, and There are just so many decisions that are made when you expect an asset management application, a collection management, your visual media application to be something that is serving the marketing department's few to many communication needs. And we're now in a many to many world. You need to actually bring in these media objects from everybody in your entire stakeholder group and this is you know this is a thing that just sort of happened overnight it's like everybody started bringing their macintoshes into work and all of a sudden IT needs to support this and they have no idea how to do it and and you know the document companies are not particularly good at it and the damn companies are all built for marketing um or they're built for production typically they're either marketing or production they're just they're not built for whole organization deployment of visual media for all purposes you know i i had a a lock on my door that needed a few new parts and so i called the schlage company and and of course the customer service rep was like send me pictures and so you know just a simple thing like that it's like in every interchange you do you know i go to costco and my (laughs) wall oh look there's a cool new pen Allison, should we buy this? You know, of course, I send her a picture of it. Yeah, a- Everything we're doing, we're using visual communication for everything. But it is it is everywhere. And, and there's a whole series of, um, again, it's sort of the crossing the chasm thing, that um, there's a whole set of challenges that were faced by people who are professional visual communicators that are now organization-wide problems. And it's, you know... It's. I like to say it's a language spoken with objects. Um, so visual media object. And you have to have the object. You have to have it permission controlled. You have to have it findable. It's not searchable by... Yeah. You by, can't just search
3: for text and be like, oh yeah, there's right. is that object I'm looking for, like a, yeah. a
0: Word document. We don't have that visual syntax no. yet. Um, we're working on it. There's some interesting AI stuff, but the AI stuff is like, <laughs> it's you know a smart eight-year-old. Maybe a smart ten-year-old, but um, so I, you know, I'm getting pretty lofty in where we're, what we were actually, a, our objective here. But
1: how does somebody use Tandem Bolt at this point? What so it's it's storing yeah. all of these digital assets. Is, is it both video,
0: basically any digital asset? Yeah, it's or, any anything: video, photos, text documents, um, links. A huge thing that is missing from most damned uh, applications and links are a first class object in our system. Um, and, and so if you've, you know, if you've got a person and you have links that help you understand who that person is, that needs to be in there as uh, you know, or helps you understand an event um, The to, to go way back down to earth, it actually is a super easy to use, um, uh, application for even very small companies to, to store their visual media and make it available on a permission controlled basis, you know, kind of like any dam does. So we have to first do everything that a dam will do. Okay. And then, um, And then to that you
1: add some, some things to address some of the concerns that you had about.
0: You're right. So we've built a data model that can grow out to the, to the size of the, Um, the task that we think is sitting in front of these organizations. And, and some of those things are, are, um, you know, here's a, here's a simple one. It's very common for a marketing dam to be implemented in an organization and somebody in another department says, oh, that's cool. I have some photos. I'd really like to store them. Can I put them in there? And the marketing people say, no, you can't because this is not designed for multiple departments. Yep. Mm. And the things that are designed for multiple departments are these hideous, um, uh, you know, behemoth uh, enterprise applications that were designed 10 years ago and aren't... um, They. Again, they're not really designed around the needs of media object as a first class citizen yeah. in the interesting
3: in or, the, Yeah. Or you sort of end up at the other end where it's like, oh, if you need to share something quickly, it ends up being like, oh, I'll just use Google Drive or whatever else, just toss it in there. And now you have multiple people trying to collaborate in a sort of in a tool that isn't really intended for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean it's a thing that I that I wrote about in my in Dan Book Three is that you know it's good to understand those things like Google Drive, Dropbox, and Box as just essentially a shared file system. I mean, it's <laughs> effectively an internet-based file share. Yeah, that's all it really is. Um, in my view, they have really dropped the ball by um, not building in the capability for metadata to be both created and made use of and and that's actually super common is that almost everything that calls itself a dam is is not trying to help you create the metadata <laughs> they're only helping you read it so it's really a library service not a dam in most cases so a lot of dam fakes well, i mean it's what a dam has sort of become like it's what people have settled for and and they've settled right. for these you know, I won't name, name names, but they've settled for some just pretty right. horrible user experience. Yeah, uh, I
1: noticed, I noticed, uh, again, something that I hadn't thought about this idea. You, you have this structured crowdsourcing, right? So you've got yeah. automatic sandboxing of uploaded material, reproval, rep- review and approval tools. <clears throat> it's very interesting. You know, it's a very feature rich, uh, product. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, and basically it can be found at tandemvault.com, pretty easy to find. I'm I'm going and down
0: to Mexico next week to um help a uh, a friend on board just cuz I get to go to this fabulous place in Mexico and see my <laughs> good friend. Um but uh she runs an adventure she and her husband run a cool adventure tourism business in the uh bottom part of uh Baja Sur and um uh, They have all these guides that are out there in taking these people to these just fabulous places, incredible places. And it's essential for her to be gathering the information from these people, you know, to gather the photos and videos of both the the clients having fun, but also, hey, there's a, you know, hazard on this trail or there's, you know, this thing needs to be fixed. And, And these guides who are wonderful guides they don't, they're not particularly interested in their smartphones. They're, they're the people who will live after the, (laughs) you know, after the end of the smartphones or whatever. And, and they, uh, and so that's going to be a really, that's, that's a great case in point for this. And, and I'm going to have a lot of fun with that because they're, you know, they're not mostly not native English speech speakers. And so we're um, looking to, to use that as a great case study for um, how do we make this super easy for these non-tech people to be able to contribute the material to the company library, and and it's you know when you think about it for about five minutes it's just about every company needs this <laughs> yeah you need the ability to accept material to have it easily rights tagged and subject tagged and flow into a place where you know sort of. This was the pipeline that was open. This is how it got here. I understand how it got here. I can ignore it if I want to ignore it, or I can can look through it if I if I need to find something that that should be coming through this pipeline.
1: So, do you do you need any help on this uh, trip? Okay. Yeah. Curtis lives in San Diego. Hablo un poquito español también. Um, maybe, maybe the next trip. Okay. All right. Just saying, I'll get my Spanish better. It's I'm, I'm at Spanish two right now. Yeah, well, uh, when you're in, we'll... when
0: you're in Spanish three, you can come down yeah. and join us. All
1: right, That sounds amazing. So just one final sort of, yeah.
0: uh, as all of the, you know,
1: I, I, can I assume that the, the service, you know, designed by the guy that, came up with the term three, two, one rule has some backup integrated into it somehow.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the moment we are, um, uh, you know, multiple Amazon storage. We, we check some files on the way in, Mm -hmm. uh, and we put those into Glacier and then the access copy of the file is sitting in S3. Um, and it's, uh, it's on a fairly near-term roadmap to be able to uh, just replicate that whole thing back down to a device in your shop. Um, given the fact that it's a, it's a collection tool for multiple people to be able to submit, mm-hmm. it's, in my view, it becomes an essential part of our function to, um, to be able to aggregate that material back onto a device in your right. possession. And right. you know we'll we'll checksum it, and we'll be able to check the hashes and make sure that the data has, has not um, uh, undergone an unwanted change while in right. storage, right. Um, which is an important thing. I can we can talk about checksumming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, we're uh, we're very focused on that. It's it's uh, obviously it's a huge issue for me.
1: Yep. Right. Yeah. It's, it's near and dear to your heart. It's been fascinating hearing sort of the, you know, the, the impetus of that, you know, the, the origins and, how your thoughts on it have changed over time, as have mine. Right? You know, my thoughts of yeah. terms of where. So, what I've said is three or more versions. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I, I default to versions for the three, and then on at least two different media. Right? Now, and I know you you've always focused on two different media types. Uh, I I can't argue with that. The uh, other than to say that logistically, it's very difficult to do that these days. Right? But but I can't argue with that logic at all. And then the one that I will, that you and I both will go to our graves saying is one of them needs to be somewhere else. Yeah, right? I, don't, absolutely. I, I sh- don't use the term offsite anymore. I just say somewhere else because sometimes the only copy is all in the cloud. So offsite doesn't really apply, but I just say, make sure it's stored somewhere way far away. What were you going to say? Persona? And I know
3: that we're getting to the end of this, but I wonder if the one needs to be tweaked, especially with the cloud world these days. I know, Curtis, you and I have talked about it needs to be in a different account in a different right to really give you that ability
1: to be protected like you would have had with old school tape. Yeah, to me, the different account is about the two. So like like separating the risks. Right. Um, I agree. I um, Because that. Putting it in a different account and a different region. region. Yeah, that's what I meant. Right. Different account, different yeah, region. Yeah, different, yeah. different, different account, different region. Because there, there have been uh, Peter. I don't know if if you're aware, there was a company called. There's been Codespaces. a few different ones, but the, yeah, there was a company called CodeSpaces that was a service to store your code. Right. It, it was supposed to be a safe place to store your code, mm-hmm. and they were all in one Amazon account, and all their backups were in that Amazon account, and then hackers got a hold of them and literally. And their company disappeared, right? Um, they, they, they gave a they gave a, a ransom demand, and the the company tried to kick the person out of the account, and he's like, "Screw you!" and just deleted their account. And they just and here here was a company who was dedicated to storing other people's data. Yeah, and they just ceased to exist. One right, so that's where we we focus a lot on on making sure it's in another account, right? Yeah, so that, and you know, I, d-
0: yeah. I you know the the nice thing is that. As a framework to understand your risk and security. It's right. a thing that has scaled. Uh, right. reason, I think it's scaled quite well from, um, you know, the original uh, the inception of like 260 gig hard yeah. drives <laughs> and, a, <laughs> and a set of yeah. DVDs. You know, yeah. That it, um, yeah. and and uh yeah absolutely in a in a cloud world i think it does you know whether it's separate vendors or whether you're making sure it's co-located at different data centers or whether uh, um, you know it's multiple services within the same vendor uh, Right. there's right. the the idea that the you know it's it's still the same as your raid could fall off the table and it doesn't matter how many copies of the files you have on that raid, they're all, they're all gone. Like if somebody can hack your one Amazon account and yep. kill everything, then, then you've only got one copy really. Right. Even right. if Amazon has it in, you know, 10 different co-located centers. Right. Them.
1: Right. If it's all in one account. Yeah. So listen,
0: uh, Peter, this has been
1: fascinating. I, I, we have, again, you, you have no idea how many times a three, two, one rule comes up on this podcast. And it's like I said, except for the barbecue episode, and maybe the, we did some, we did some uh, COVID episodes, uh, other than those episodes, it comes up in almost every podcast. <laughs> and you know, it's just become, because it's, it's just such a easy way to basically say what you're doing is, or isn't backup. And if it's not, then don't even talk to me, right? Don't even, <laughs> don't even waste my don't even waste my time, right? You can do better than that. You could do a, th- a thousand copies in a thousand locations. That's fine, but it doesn't matter how awesome your 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 configuration is if it's not stored in multiple locations, yeah. right? On and, and 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 surviving different risk factors, then you know, don't, don't even talk to me. So I, I just want to thank you for responding to our request and uh, agreeing to come on the podcast.
0: Very happy to be here. It was, it was a pleasure. It was fun.
1: And of course, uh, you persona for sometimes, somehow it seems like you're arguing with me, but, <laughs> 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 but thanks for, thanks for doing that. Nah, I
3: try to take a different perspective. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's no fun when everybody agrees all the time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. <laughs>
1: Dramatic tension. <laughs> and thanks to the listeners. We would be nothing without you. And remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all.
2: There was a file, but I deleted it. To pay your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it. Instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth the space. store it all. We be comfortable.